the Protect Your Neck Podcast with special guest co-host Ed Gallo, talking talent recruitment, analyst woes, Volkanovsky Ortega preview, and much, much more. Up, you savages. This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I'm your host, Dan Tom. Analyst is work you can find over at MMAJunkie.com, as well as OddsCheckerUS.com. But on this here program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high-level MMA, but we're going to do it in a slightly different way. Not much to break down. I don't know about to look ahead. We'll talk about that. Uh, and, and, and no top five, but uh, it's a guest that I've been wanting to grab back for a while, and... Looks like well, you, I might not be able to grab him for a while, so looks like I grabbed him while I did. And before I get into too many touching analogies, let me introduce Ed Gallo at Edward Gallo MMA. What's up, Ed? Hey, Dan Tom. It's good to be back. Yeah, last time I was here, we talked about uh, top five wrestlers in MMA on their feet, like takedown artists, essentially. And that was very fun. And uh, ever since, you've been coming on my podcast uh, a lot, all of our uh, prediction panels, and you've been killing it. Uh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, I, I feel like uh, some of my rogue selections haven't, uh, you know, uh, went well since that one. That was 188, almost 100 episodes later. Ed planned it that way uh, to steal a line from him. But, um, but yeah, like, uh, like you know, like uh, my guy DC has not is, has since then not become my guy. He's went in like this this complete different corporate direction. You guys tried to warn me that you know his uh, <laughs> his style, you know his, his stylistic fighting style, perhaps you know foreboded the uh, un- coming apart at the seams, right? Uh, that you could criticize him toward the end there, and 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 sure enough, uh, you know I don't want to start this podcast by trashing my guy DC, but it, it was something I remember on that podcast that was just funny. Mm-hmm. But that's why we got to get get people in here because you know you can't have just my voice beating my listeners over the head all the time. Um, you you got to have some discussion, which is, of course, you guys know Ed from the fight site, which we'll touch on here in a second, and Ed's involvement here in the second. But um, that's one of the things I like about your guys' shows and your discussion panels. As crazy as they can be, you get a, a bunch, you get different voices, different opinions. You guys aren't afraid to take the piss out of each other. And uh, as I often do with my own rants or topics that I like to dive into – and I said this off air, so I'll, I'll keep it transparent here. Is like I always stop myself in, in my head, and I'm like, I bet you there's someone in the fight site that specializes in what I'm talking about that can explain it a lot better and not fuck it up like I'm probably doing. So uh, I bring you guys Ed Gallo. I specialize in being correct, so you're right that there is always somebody, and it's it's me every time. I can always do it better. Well, you're <laughs> you're gonna be doing a, a retiring or MMA retiring air quotes here. Um, you're gonna it's retire definitely on an top. MMA retirement. Yes, yeah, it's yeah. not a real one. Uh, yeah, just a, an extended hiatus. Just uh, life, life piled up on me, and you know I just do not have the time to put out content like I've been doing. I mean, I went very strong for yeah, over dude. three years, like at least one thing every week, so a lot of weeks, multiple things, uh, pretty high quality, I would say. It was an insane run, um, but I'll I'll be back at it before long. But for now, I just need to pump the brakes and uh, let. 
uh, some of my talented uh, co-workers take take over for a bit and, and do their thing. And uh, they're already they're already on it. You know, I, I think the content is it's coming. It's coming. It's just uh, it's not me, which I know it's not as good. I get it. You know, I'm the best. But um, you'll, you'll learn to appreciate everyone else, too. Yeah, man, it's going to be weird. It's like Charles Xavier uh, and uh, Magneto, you know, it's like that Passover. But now, if neither of them are running the show, who's going to run? Of course, I'm, uh, you know, shouts to Kyle McLaughlin there. But, uh, but yeah, man, no, that it's it's necessary. So I don't want to, you know, um, mischaracterize and lump it in, uh, you know, and, and, appro- you know, and appropriate the topic here. But, like, by using the word burnout, uh, because with your situation, you don't have to get into it or anything like you. You just life's legit, man. You got to focus on more important stuff, uh, which there is more important stuff than this MMA space, folks. But it, it is hard to keep up that rate because you guys over there at the fight site, um, if you guys aren't already um, supporting them on Patreon, it, it's really cheap to do so. And they have a lot of content. But uh, especially if you are, you guys can see their library of content there. Like there's a ton of stuff. And it's not all Ed, obviously, but a lot of it is. Um, if you, especially, you look at like the last year, especially. Um, especially certain series, which we'll talk about here, especially like your scoring series and stuff like that. These very visual and audio, um, you offered both obviously, uh, things and it, let's be real for a sec. You don't, you don't gotta, you know, you don't, uh, say everything or whatever, but you know, that, 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 that burnout, if you will, I hate to use that word, but that's a real thing. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's like you do, you do everything you need to do during the day. And even if you have time, you have a couple of hours you're at the point where it's like, I should sleep, I should take care of myself, I shouldn't, you know, hop on the computer and score every second of this five-round fight uh, right now. That's not really a good a good use of my time or my energy uh, if I don't have extra, you know what I mean? You got to be conscious of stuff like that. You got to monitor yourself. And, like, I, I'm someone who can do stuff like that a lot like I, I can sacrifice a lot of time and sleep and things like that but if i if i i can feel i can feel when it's not going to go well when my you know health will deteriorate or whatever and just you know i i saw i, I saw it coming i was like this is going to be my schedule for you know second half of 2021 and first half of 2022 i'm like no way like no way am i gonna be able to keep up with any of this so i just kind of uh I put I put my warning in advance, like to to my bloody elbow people. I'm like I will probably not do anything after the Olympics end. I think that's gonna be my my finish line for now. And uh, the Olympics were awesome, and I ended with a very strong uh, Gable Stevenson piece. It's like my fifth uh, <laughs> article on Gable Stevenson, and uh, yeah, I'm just like gonna rest on that for a bit. I put together a document of all of my written work, basically, um, that I that I shared out. Uh, it's just like a little uh, table of contents. You can just like, oh, did I ever write about um, you know, Jaden Cox or Khabib or whoever I want to read something about? You can just you know do your little search function and type in the name, and you'll you'll probably find something. Um, and even if you don't find something, I bet you, if you look up like a common opponent, mm-hmm. like if you're like, oh, I really want to read about David Taylor, and you're like, wait, where's the David yeah. Taylor article? And it's like, well, I have. A Jordan Burroughs article and my Kyle Dake article and my Jaden Cox article and my Yazani Chirati article and he's in all of them so you're covered so I I think I covered a lot of ground in these past few years and I don't need to do anything else on anybody for a long time so if you have technical analytical questions about any athlete that utilizes wrestling uh, in the sport of wrestling or MMA I probably did something you can probably find it there 
Yeah, we'll, we'll touch on on, on uh, Gabe there in a second too. But uh, yeah, no, you did, man. And though you must have been pulling your hair out. I forget what it was the other day, but it was it was a, I believe it was a folk style against a Greco style. But everybody was trying to point out it was a uh, no, no, no. He's it was, and they kept saying a uh, Greco versus freestyle. And I know that's that those things must still just drive you up the wall when um, the I'm broadcast. Glad I missed whatever this is. <laughs> yeah, when the broadcast makes those uh, makes those distinctions. Oh no, I, I think it might have been the Guido O'Madson. Where they were, um, they were saying, you know, oh, oh Madsen was Olympic wrestler. Like, yes, but I think maybe they're like, yes, but he was Greco. Uh, whereas uh, they're like, yeah, but it's different than freestyle. And I'm like, it is, but you you guys are saying it as if Clay was a freestyle yeah. wrestler. When I'm, I'm pretty sure yeah. his, his experience was just folks down college. He didn't. He was like a junior college wrestler 20 yeah. years ago. <laughs> yeah, but they they, they 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 made it a freestyle versus a Greco thing. And I was that became the narrative, and I'm like, ooh, Ed Gallon must be pulling his hair out. Sorry, I, mm-hmm. sorry to share that with you because you could have been spared. I was from pulling it. my hair out because that fight sucked, not because of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, there's that too. There's that too. Yeah, definitely. But but it's man, okay, Madsen's been through a lot recently. I I'm, I was happy to see him pull true, it off. True, man, very true. Um, but no, man, you've done you've done a fantastic job, and there, there is uh, plenty of great people over there at the fight site and talented people, you know, to. Kind of ease the helm, and, and that's good, man. That's something that I wish I, I could do and I probably should do, despite my excuse, you know, not excuse, but reasoning I've, I've given and give you behind the scenes, just essentially that I'm, I'm too invested and gambled. I gambled on myself a little too hard. And uh, even though it, I, the, the space obviously could frustrate me and many, um, I'm still very obviously very lucky to be where I'm at, at and even though I've burned plenty of bridges with my my damn opinions and honesty, um, I'm still like not at like a completely unforgiving. You know what I'm saying? Uh, well, we forgive a lot of monsters in society, so perhaps I, I would have to do some really bad stuff. But you know what I mean? Like I can still make some hay, I guess. So it's like you know, I gambled on myself. I'm here. Sure, I'm having breakdowns, and you know, I I tell way too much of myself personally. Uh, publicly, whether it's through my account or my podcast, but you know, it's got to be someone, I guess. Got to express yourself, Dan. Never hold back. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it was Fernando was saying I was on her show. She's just like the people that are gonna like you are gonna really like you. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> although I, I the way I just framed it was a very backhanded compliment. That's not I'm sure how she meant it, but you know, there's truth to that, I guess. So mm-hmm. uh, I appreciate you guys being here, and um, and you know. There are a lot of shared things, you know, with a lot of shared quirks. Thankfully, I wouldn't dare lump you or, you know, uh, Connor Rebush or Zane Simon or any of the other, you know, people or analysts uh, I respect with me, uh, you know, Tumen. But we all have uh, definitely quirks about ourselves and that perhaps endear (laughs) ourselves to one another um, as weird or crazy as as, as we can be, right? So so I appreciate that. Definitely crazy, for sure. Yeah, I'm with you too. I'm with you. uh, Weird and crazy. Um, and, and creepy, and that's what I attract. Uh, apparently, with like through my Amazon click through. Thank you guys from mixedmartialanalyst.com. You click through the Amazon banner there. I'm gonna take down the other banner. I think it's just not worth it, especially with the, the person promote. And especially, I mean, the next thing you know, it's, it's on it. But the next thing you know, the plaza probably on it in Victor Meissen. And I'm like, do I really need that affiliate banner on there? Like, I like I, I like the plant based protein, but can I trust that now? I don't know what's coming from. Sorry. I uh, see. This is why I'm not plants. gonna get sponsorships. No, and this, this is why I, I can't get sponsorships. Look, I talk about my affiliates, right? I'm like, sorry. It's okay. We're sponsored by a company that makes geese, and uh, I I disrespect the gee constantly. So if they True. were listening, they it, they would care, but maybe not. 
<laughs> True. Oh my goodness. Oh geez, that's a whole other. That's a whole other area. Speaking of geese, uh, I, I defer to Matt. Matt Joya. I love. He's got the best uh, gee content on Twitter, folks. Mm-hmm. Um, he loves it. Yes, he'll tell. He will show you what what the real deal is. Uh, I love it. I love it. Um, but you know, this podcast is going to be a bit fast and loose. Again, it was like not even for the for the guests, which I wouldn't even have asked. Uh, truth be told, uh, I probably wouldn't even have asked Ed to be on if I knew that. I knew he was kind of he stepped away from writing and stuff. He's he's talked about before. Um, and it's kind of like an off week. I think everybody's brain is kind of mush, you know, because the UFC is like. I used to like get so stressed out, and because pl- I used to plan so much for the off weeks, because we got so little bit. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna get my dog appointments done, I'm get my doctor appointments done. I'm gonna get this done for my car. I'm gonna work on my vehicle. I'm gonna, you know, and and then I would stress myself out because it would all, you know, come come Thursday, I would have half of it done, and I'm already looking ahead to right. next week, and I'm like, fuck the machine, it never stops, you know, Shawshank. Um, and, uh, and now it's like, there's so few UFC off weeks and I'm still, and I, and I, my beat is also contender series and Bellator, um, you know, which is fun. Uh, and, 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 um, uh, two, two different organizations. We'll talk about that by the way. Um, that when these off weeks sneak up on us folks and Ed, feel free to weigh in here. I don't even like catch them anymore. I'm like, what? It's an off week. Where am I? What year is it? See, we have different definitions of off weeks because for you, you have to cover events that are happening. True. I can do whatever I want. So I consider the Smith versus Span card to be an off week. Um, <laughs> the, the Bless Barbosa you. Chikate Bless card you. was uh, partially an off week. Sure. You know, there have been there have been a lot of cards lately that I'm like, I don't. We don't need to say a, a word about this. Like, I just do not feel it's necessary. And we can talk about other things, or we can do nothing, or whatever and that's the uh, the freedom of uh being tiny <laughs> and, and that ties into like what what i was gonna talking about you know because i think you have to pick and choose your spots you know um shout out to gorgeous george and goes uh they always give me two kind on the plugs but um i want to give them a plug because it's apropos here uh by mma junkie radio or support them on patreon as well if you're over there on the fight site you can type in the triple g show for them but uh on the mma junkie radio show they, they were uh and have you watched this this Contender series this season at all, Ed? No. Okay. Well, they added this. They added this one. This one facet into the show, where they have like watch parties that they'll cut to that they pre-plan for the okay. fighters. Does that sound familiar? Have you have you seen any of these? This talk about this this season? Um, a little bit. And, yeah, and, but I and, heard they don't do it as well as uh, the fight site does. You can't even see the people in. The no, fight it's the like time. it's it's well like well no no it's like they'll cut away and like this is the person's party like uh you know when the uh, there's the reaction of them reading the decision. And it'll be like some pre-fight party and you'll see like a bunch of people, you know, mainly no masks, you know, I think, you know, there'll be like one or two, um, they're all getting together, getting crazy. And like one of them, you know, sometimes it's really lame. Sometimes it's like a cute little quaint family. Sometimes like, yeah, people like tossing beers. Like it was like, <laughs> they knew the camera was on and they're playing it up. Like they're doing everything, but like punching each other. Like it was a hardcore show and gorgeous church and goes, we're talking about like, uh, what would your, what would your, uh, what would your, uh, after party, uh, or what would your uh, like? What would your party shot be? And goes, which, I, which is why I love goes. He he was very Andy Kaufman esque, and he was like, I would totally troll. I would be more worried about that than my fight. Like he was like, I wouldn't even have people I know. He's, he said he would just hire like seventy or eighty year olds, make them wear like masks and Halloween costumes and clown suits, so people were just like genuinely like, what the fuck is going on at that party? <laughs> So I guess I'm curious, Ed, if you're on Contender Series, which is a very real possibility, Ed. I've seen you, I've seen you move around, and with the way <laughs> this is going to be, this is going to tie into what we're going to talk about with the way the UFC is recruiting its talent. 
Like, let's be honest. You are a couple can victories away from getting on a contender series. Let's let's hypothetically say that happens, okay? Ed's Ed's in his future. He's teaching. He's coaching wrestling. It's his own little here comes the boom story, right? Uh, here comes the gallo. And uh, he's on contender series. What do you do? Do you are you a family guy, Ed? Do you do you do you genuinely set up your family together for it, or do you uh, do you do something a little fun? Do you you know God, God forbid let let Ben Cohen from the fight site put it together and see what he does? How does that go? Huh. People are always trying to do stuff for me. I'm like a very low key person. I don't like to be celebrated. I don't like. Uh, it's funny that I like I enjoy attention so much online and like to put myself out there online because in real life I don't like attention at all I don't want anyone to look at me or talk to me Mm -hmm. uh I'm very embarrassed by my family uh very embarrassed by my friends uh but birthdays uh, were weird for you as a kid let me guess right you really uh, still weird for me yeah same Um, same yeah but yeah I would probably tell them like don't do anything I would like like an empty room uh just cut to to nobody and (laughs) just toasty of course they would yeah just toasty they they would probably put something (laughs) together something uh, one time, my college roommates, uh, I said, like, hey, no, no surprise party, no nothing. I don't want it because my birthday is right at the beginning of the fall semester every year. Um, and uh, I, I, I moved in to the uh, our apartment, and my room was filled with balloons. Like every, like I could open the door and just to the ceiling, balloons. So probably something like that would end up happening, even though I, uh, I would want like uh, the, the solo toasty shot. <laughs> well, here's what I would picture is like you would probably request a solo toasty shot, and someone would be like, "She can't be." You're someone from your family, would be like, she toasty can't be in there by herself. Let's let's get uh so and so. Let's get Sharon's dog. Let's, let's get, get you know so and so's dogs. dogs. Yeah. <laughs> and then so here is cuts to all right, and and uh, Ed Gallo wins by unanimous decision. We're gonna see if he gets the contract, but first we're gonna cut back to Ed's family and see how they celebrated the call. And it goes, it's just toasty, but then you have, like, all the other, there's, like, two dogs fucking, there's two dogs fighting over here, one's eating fecal matter. You're like, all right, all right. Sounds good. (laughs) That's the Gallo uh, party. (laughs) All right, okay, we're going to cut back to him and Laura Sanko. Here's Ed. (laughs) Well, Ed, that was your dog there? See, me, it would be like, I would probably go the goes route, and it would be more worth it to just see other people's reaction. Like, I would... I would do like um, I would I would have everybody like it'd be a mix of like the dodgeball and like Pulp Fiction the Gimp. It'd be like a Gimp party, you know. <laughs> and maybe like if you get committed people, you have them do a breakaway suit so like you know the cameras can settle in. Because I got to imagine if it's too wild, the producers are gonna be like, yeah, um, even if this gotcha. person wins, there's like there's 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 lines of coke going on. We we can't we can't cut don't cut to this camera. So I'd have to make sure they'd be like keeping it chill. And then when it goes to the live camera. Um, you know, uh, then they just, they did a breakaway suit and it just, it starts, they all start doing the robot and getting costumes and, <laughs> then it would just cut back into, to, like, Laura Stanko just like, okay, all right, so. <laughs> You're giving away all your ideas here. It's just, it's, why not? It's the most entertaining part of the Contender Series this season, Ed. Have you seen how um, they're just signing everybody, even if. You don't win? I heard that. I heard yeah. that. And it must be really annoying for all the people in previous seasons, like Brandon Lochnan, who had a great <sighs> yep. fight and won. And a- Anthony really Romero, that kid looked great. Mm-hmm. I think, um, shout out to Aaron Bronstetter. He did some really good stat work, which now is going to be skewed because they're just taking everybody this season. Right. But prior to the season, he had a bunch of interesting stats, but the one that stood out to me was the the best record, the best winning record of groupings of the, all the stats that he laid out was the fighters that Dana passed on. Yeah. That's so funny. I was like I was like I was like these are cool stats, but if you look at this one in particular, it's kind of an indictment on the show. 
that they've been actually picking the talent poorly. Um, that the people they're not picking that have won uh, actually have the best record of all the sample. Do they? It's just I don't even know. I I do know. I do know what their goal is. It's mm-hmm. just like their goal isn't to get fighters who are going to win a lot against good fighters. Their goal is to get fighters that make highlights because um, they're the, the sport is just, you know, they're leaning more towards spectacle again, but in a more uh, professionally friendly way, I would say like, they're not going with like, this is the highest level. They're going with, this is a really fun thing that we have really well organized. Like it's very, you know, uh, you know, they are acting like it's super professionalized and like it's a flashy product and they've gotten all these great media deals and they have their own platforms and everything like that. And, you know, the production looks decent. I, I think the UFC production has always been pretty good. Yeah. Um, they don't get enough credit that like part of it. I don't like all the stylistic choices, sure. but it's well done. Sure. Um, so they, they have, they have that, they have the high level fighters. Uh, and now they just need to re they, they've refocused their model on volume. So like they just need to put up as many cards as possible, at least one a week. And it doesn't really matter who's on it. Cause I think they've realized what their baseline is for their shows, like for viewership. So, they just need people that can make it fun TV. Uh, so there's like that guy did a flying knee in, yep. in right now. This uh, is like if you got like 20 guys uh, who like aren't very deep, but they they have some moves and they could they could produce a highlight and make your show worth watching. And uh, people you know tune in and you know maybe they watch a replay and they're like oh I want to watch the next UFC show. And you got two guys who uh, maybe aren't very good, but they're flashy and aggressive. And it's like they're probably gonna finish each other. Uh, which is why all these recent cards have been like, oh my god, this card is so meaningless. They've been delivering, in air quotes, uh, with action. You know, a lot's been happening. There's been a lot of finishes, but that's by design. You know what I mean? Like, if that's what you like about the sport, that is okay with me. But I think you should understand that that happening is making things harder for the people who are just really high level in the sport because it's... uh, The, the money is being distributed poorly. Uh, <laughs> I mean, these contender series contracts suck. So it's not Awful. like those people are being paid a lot. But you're just spending money on people that maybe shouldn't be there uh, and getting volume for your roster instead of you know focusing up on whatever. But honestly, like that whole argument is irrelevant. That everything I just said is irrelevant because it wouldn't. You could do both. It wouldn't matter yes. if the revenue share wasn't below 20%, which is the lowest of any professional sports league in the world. Um, It's, it hasn't changed uh, at all in, you know, whatever, however long, like two, two sales of the companies, like $4 billion valuation, everything like that, still 17%. So uh, yeah, I think it's just a reflection of how how they're doing business. And I understand like they're owned by a Hollywood talent agency. Like they're going for, for that direction. I don't think they care about it as much as a sport and more as a, a product or a spectacle. And uh, it's a shame, but other promotions have responded well, I think. They're, they've capitalized, um, and they're, they're scooping up a lot of really yeah. solid talent. PFL and Bellator especially are really making a lot of moves, uh, whereas other organizations are, are starting to lag. But, uh, yeah, they've become much more watchable uh, lately, and a lot of it is just mining mining the caucuses. <laughs> yeah, <Jeez. laughs> grab all those people because the uh, ACA really broke down too. Um, I mean, there were like the sanctions or whatever against Kadyrov, and there's there a lot going on there. Like the league was gonna not exist anymore, and it's just um, I think a lot of the the prime fighters kind of aged out or have been leaving, and so that's fading. So yeah, there's a big shift going on with the talent uh, distribution in MMA, but 
yeah, the UFC is always gonna, it's gonna be weird. Uh, it's always been kind of weird, but it's it's way. Trium and I had an entire podcast where we talked about like it's like the parody has changed. Like you don't have the same distribution of talent you did before. Yep. The best guys are still there, um, pretty much unanimously. Like the best guy in a, every division is the best guy, and the best woman in every division is the best woman. But uh, there are just a lot more people who are below what you would consider a baseline level. Uh, for what you would want to be like a UFC level fighter, right? Um, and it's just so weird because like they they make these gimmicky decisions and they'll like really put a lot into Mickey Gall. Like they really want Mickey Gall to do well, and right. like, they take their time with him and they they just, they set him up for uh, fights he can win. And they're really putting a lot of time into him, but like they'll they'll let like Sergio Pettis walk. They'll let you know a lot of their yeah. top ranked guys walk, and they'll let Jimmy Rivera go, and it's just like he's not even a boring fighter. Like he's a very exciting fighter. He has nothing but bangers. He's a very high level fighter. Um, there's nothing I can't see. Like, is he asking for too much money? Like, is it that big of a difference? It's just like, it's insane to me, uh, how they operate. I don't think they, I think they have habits and behaviors that aren't necessarily from like, this makes the most sense in terms of the bottom line. But I think they work hard to establish the culture uh, of the business that they have and it's a it's a bad culture it's a hostile culture and they they like it that way um and i think they take pride in it and i think dana white's very proud of it too and he'll, he'll never lie about it um he lies about a lot but you know the, when you hear him talk about you know fighters negotiating or anything that has to do with their rights he's pretty candid but he doesn't give a shit yeah <laughs> and what do, what do you call us goofs or scumbags for talking about uh yeah. for talking about fighter pay which any media member who's bringing up fighter pay is a yeah scumbag. and it brings up that that whole narrative um which is a whole nother thing but yeah no i, I agree with everything you said there and and it's just like i think two things one i i definitely want to touch on like as trying to be more aware of my own biases and something i try very hard at um i realized that I'm a bit of a skill snob, which is common in analysts, common with people that come from traditional martial arts. We, we, we value technique almost to a fault, right? It's very common. Um, however, I do feel a little less bad about being a skill snob and wish other people were more of a skill snob in reference to what we're talking about, right? Whether it was mm-hmm. the promotion and how they're going about business or the fan and what they demand, you know, because the fans, oddly enough, even though a lot less in the classic uh, Dana Claus days, so to speak... Um, I would still venture to say that the fans uh, mean more to Dana than the fighters or the media. So uh, when the mm-hmm. when 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 the promotion and the fans are on the same page, it can be very dangerous. As far as those narratives yeah. that that we were just kind of talking about and voicing. Mm-hmm. But, I read a paper recently for school uh, about it was like because my courses are about teaching, so it was like talk about understanding, like talk about something that you understand really well and how you came to understand it. Mm. And I wrote about you know. Analyzing MMA because I'm like I do that pretty well, uh, and I, I know my story pretty well of how I arrived at this point. And you know, part of teaching under teaching for understanding is knowing why. Like, why are we learning this? Why is this important? Sure. Like, in for like social studies, for history, for example, uh, it's about being able to make informed decisions. Uh, you want to be aware, and you want to understand history, and you want to understand context, so you can look at what's in front of you. And make a decision, make it make a good decision, uh, have good behaviors that are informed and, and educated. Uh, so 
people vote with their wallet, right? They yes. vote with their viewership. Yep. So if you don't know what you're, what you, what's good um, and, and you don't know what's going on as much, you don't know like what's the business model is and you're, you're just someone that is casual and you want to be entertained and you're, you like, you know, it's novelty to you. Like you like when someone gets knocked out with a spinning back fist and you don't really care too much what happened before that or why it happened right. or who it happened to or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So, and, and the UFC knows that. I mean, and it makes perfect sense. Uh, but that's why the fighters need to advocate for themselves because the business was never going to be incentivized to care about them. Um, they have to force the point and they don't, or they leave, you know? <laughs> no, totally. And, and, and that's the problem is that, you know, there's the obvious argument. It's the brand over the fighters and that existed. And there's very smart people who were calling that coming from over a decade ago. We saw that, right? And we mm-hmm. saw what it was for because it was for a purpose, just like the uniforms. They sell, they get the the Fox, they get the ESPN, they get the uh, yeah. the, uh, the buyout, so on and ESPN so forth. <laughs> so now you have the pl- you have the brand. You have the brand backed and confirmed by being on a big network, which is ESPN. And so now you just need to fill the content. And it's just like fishing with, with what you were talking. I was thinking of a fishing analogy. It's like you can either really find a really sweet spot. You can actually care about what kind of fish you want to get, set out, find a spot, whether it's a shore side, a pier, cast in and you're casting with a pole to fish or you can get a big fucking net a speedboat just stick it below the water and say yep. gun it <laughs> and that's what they're doing now that's, that's essentially the roster and that's a crude analogy but it's kind of correct right yeah they're content farming content because, fishing whatever it, you want to call because it because like you said Ed, in that net you're still gonna get highlight finishes you're still gonna mm-hmm. you're still gonna eventually net the biggest fish this is why they have they continually have the the you know like you said the best person uh, objectively in each division right um mm-hmm. so they're going to check those boxes and how it, it i think how it, it interplays with today and perhaps you know at least my my sensibilities and perhaps an analyst sensibilities like yourself shares it where outside of sports it's this culture where and i'm not saying this because uh, I, I legit have you know um ADD, but it's just like this ADD culture where we only were so trained, you know, between the way movies are and highlights and sports. And it's just been training us to just, it's just the highlight. It's just, it's like you said, it's not about how or who or what. And that's the more annoying part about these fighters not advocating themselves or the pay structure uh, therein is that there should be a separate bonus. Like, yeah, there should be more bonuses. They've, they've proven that that they can give more bonuses. Um, they can give more than $50,000. They've been proving that for over a decade. You know, mm-hmm. back when Dano used to, like, not agree with the decision, and then he paid, like, Campman and Diego an extra 100k to say fuck you to the commission. Like, that was that right. was the cool... That was the cool... Cool we'll gamble cooler, away a million you know, dollars any yeah. given night of his life. Yeah, it's like... Well, <laughs> it's well, nothing well, he, to him. You know, he, he, he stopped <laughs> doing that, of course, as much. And it sucks because not only the company obviously has profited so much more since then, and we've seen the actual numbers and the actual share... But there's, you know, there's this language that's out there that's clicks and viral and things going viral. And, you know, Dana, he goes, that better be on top 10 ESPN. You know, he used to hope and pray. And now he almost like tells him in his post-fight scrums, like he did it just last week. He goes, if that's not on top 10 ESPN, you know, he got, you know, really pissed. And because he knows that that's what it represents. Like all they need is the highlight. It can be from, you know, a stalwart in the welterweight division or it can be from a contender series noob. And it yeah. doesn't matter. They see UFC highlight. Oh, they that's the, oh yeah, the UFC is on. They're the king of what they do. They must still be the king. Look at them doing <laughs> their thing. And you know they just and, and and in no way, even if that fighter were to get a bonus for that, 
in even that fifty thousand dollar bonus, in no way does it reflect the value of that evergreen highlight, especially the really big ones like the what was the Impa Kasangane was on uh, uh, yeah, Joaquin Buckley hit him with that. You know, like the the. That should be like a minimum, and it, that this still wouldn't be enough. But just for what's realistic to the UFC, that should be a minimum two hundred k bonus right up mm-hmm. front, you know. And that still won't. That still is not enough when you calculate he made them the so views. So much money with that kick, yeah. and I'm yeah. sure he didn't see even close to what he should have seen. No, no, it was it was it was ridiculous. Um, so it, that's kind of just been the style of fishing, and it's tough because one of my beats again is contender series, and I have to grade these winners. And I will. I, I, part of me does kind of have to to bend to the show because it is what the show is. Yeah. It, it's it's I'm grading it on that sole performance, and even though I don't grade the first round finish as high, and I've, I've been clear and consistent about that, um, I, I still have a hard time not giving them the A. But I, I save the A plus for fighters that actually like overcome yeah. adversity. Um, like you know, my first A plus was actually Paige Van Sant's uh, husband, and it's terrible that I say that and not his name because Austin Vanderford. Austin yeah. Vanderford. <laughs> And, and again, he was another one too. He didn't. Dana White passed on him, and now he's killing it. Uh, he's a part of that. I watched his fight on Contender Series. He looked totally acceptable. Like he, yeah. he would be good. Yeah, like he, he got caught division. early, but it's like, oh wow, no, he, he it was good because you got to actually see something from him, right? Uh, and I think yeah, they're like, oh, but he got caught early, and I think that was the excuse he used to not sign him. We're like, what? Because he overcame adversity and he didn't just fold. Um, but um, sorry, tangent there, but like. You know, so I'll say that like I gave Chitty Ninja Kwani an A plus just because he was so damn overqualified. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and 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 he got to show a vast range of skill, overcame adversity of a foul, um, and but it sucks because it's like wait a minute now we're seeing like you know we're seeing like more ACA guys even like not even just like North American names we're seeing like you know actually good uh, fighters on contender series but you're like wait a minute are you gonna actually raise from that shitty tw- twelve and twelve? Or are these guys getting treated like they're a fucking four and zero with four first round finishes? Let's see what the fuck they can do. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, we we, were, we teased it before, but um, just laughable what came out today. I think Abel Stevenson said it. Yeah. That uh, after he signed with WWE, he said that Dana White wanted him to get a few fights in the regional scene, which like okay, maybe. Um, and then he wanted him to maybe have to prove himself on the Contender Series. And he's like, you want. The, the most popular wrestler in college right now and an Olympic gold medalist about like on track to be the most popular wrestler in, in the country um, has the most Instagram followers like is, is absolute phenom can do backflips as a heavyweight, which is like obviously clearly very, very, very special. Um, you want him to go on the contender series? Are you kidding me? Like, are you, like, like that's the most insulting thing I've ever heard. Like you signed CM Punk from nothing from nothing you signed him and you found him somebody to fight and you were willing to hold up his career and then you held up the career of the guy that he fought who also was from nothing um at least he was an actual martial artist and yeah you've signed you know rock lesnar one no or whatever and you've signed you, you so many times have done worse things than well, that, that female boxer in contender series season. didn't they do a pro female boxer her first fight her first pro fight was in contender series last year wolf or something they do that stuff all the time, though they they've signed people yeah. off the Ultimate Fighter who had zero professional fights, um, like all the time. So it's like insane that this guy who is so much more special than any of them, um, you're gonna treat him like that. You're gonna insult him like that. Like, did you, did you even want him? Like, because <laughs> that's not how you yeah, actually want him. In short, because I don't want to make you redo all the work that you've already done, because Ed Gallo was putting out stuff uh, 
before it became the, the hot topic. Like, because for whatever reason, it was like, do you notice that, Ed, after you put out those articles, like, it was just, it was, I, was, I, was, I was almost sick of Gable Stevenson because I, I was seeing him, like, abused in the timeline. PFL did that weird thing where they had, like, an hour break between fights and they were just parading black athletes up in the broadcast and, like, ogling over him. It was kind of creepy. Uh, but Gable Stevenson <laughs> was one of them. Uh, and, like, they were, like, doing everything. But, like, literally, like, but besides from having, like, you know, Randy or Ken Flo get on his knees and polish him off, like, I was like, uh-huh. the guys, and I love Randy and Ken Flo. I'm just saying that's, that's what it looked like. Um, but it was just like, it was clear there was interest in him, and it just doesn't even seem the UFC, do they even care? Did they even try? It's what we were saying before. We like, yeah, we could spend money on him, and it'd probably work out, and it'd probably be great. Or we could just do exactly what we're doing and not bend over for, for this guy. I'm like, oh, you think you're so good, like, that we need you. Uh, we don't. Like, I mean, they don't think they need Francis Ngannou. Like, they don't care about the champion. Like, they, they really don't care about the fighters at all. And they're like, we don't need any of you. We don't need to pay any of you. And if we lost all of our best fighters tomorrow, we'd still be a viable business and we'd be fine. And it's like, that's horrifying. <laughs> and I almost, rights. and even though it was, even though it was what led to this content machine and creating this monster, granted, and even though it was disingenuous, I still almost miss the global expansion UFC because even though it was disingenuous, you know, you could have been like, and they still talk about it, but I really, they were in, growing this, 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 this yeah. gift here. Uh, I don't think they're interested <laughs> in UFC Africa. Um, I don't think they're interested in places where it's either they don't feel th- that there's enough money or there is enough money, but it's already spoken for, like, you know, with a lot of the Asian markets, which is why they, if you notice, they kind of haven't given a shit about them for like 10 years. Like they had the Benson and Edgar, yeah. they broke through, they came back, they, they made a bit of a deal of it. They didn't really give a shit. Um, so I don't think they give a shit about, you know, USC Africa or anything else either. And it sucks to say that because they should, uh, it would be nice. And even if it was disingenuous, it's an, at least an excuse to get these countries, these people, these fighters, you know, it, it gets money in the fighter's pocket. It gives them more promotional leeway. You know, it opens up another market, which I know there's a lot of that UFC rhetoric, but there is some truth to that where it, there, it does inspire the market. It will help open gyms, create more youth programs, which I know me and Ed are big fans of as far as sports in general and, and kids somewhere mm-hmm. to go. So again, there's like plenty of, of genuinely good things uh, from something that you could argue was disingenuous for a bigger model in mind. And I almost dare say miss that model because we could at least inclusify that. Whereas now it's just real obvious. It's like, okay, who's going to work for cheap and who's not testing for COVID? Any takers? Any takers? (laughs) For sure. Um, To pivot slightly on the topic Mm. and rewind a little bit, just talking about being skill snobs. Uh, You know, I feel feel that I clarify this a lot within my private conversations, uh, like with my friends and and everything like that, but I don't talk about it publicly enough. Um, Just like where where I stand and where, you know, most of the fight site stands about what you would consider a lower-level fighter or low-level MMA. Um, I I just really feel the need to clarify that I know that what I consider like a low-level UFC fighter, they're very good at fighting. Um, right. This stuff is so hard. Yes. It's so hard. Like you know, I, I, I've, I've known that from the start because I trained before I was really a fan. Right. Um, and you know, just being a little more immersed in training recently, and you know, like getting involved in like, uh, you know, my friend Trayvon is a fighter. Like his friend Cameron has been fighting. I've been like getting a little more involved in like being invested in people who are just starting out, amateurs, stuff like that. Uh, ben just had his first amateur yeah. fight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just like scouting opponents and just watching them. So like, you know, like as much as I can know what the best thing to do in every situation is and what, what a great fighter looks like, 
it's a whole different thing to apply that to yourself and to be in there and to, and to beat somebody, um, somebody strong or somebody who's dangerous in an area or especially mm. in like these short, like messy fights. And like, I, I mean, all everything that goes into it, like having the time to train like a real fighter, having the resources to, to do that, um, getting over your nerves and performance anxiety, like getting out to actually represent what you can do uh, in competition. That is so much to overcome. So when I'm talking about like, you know, this guy isn't that good or whatever, or other people deserve better, it's all relative. It's all it's all in comparison to what the highest level of the sport is. And I think it speaks to the sport that even though MMA at a high level still has tons of holes in it technically, um, they're they're so good. They're they're really amazing. And the the fighters that really get on my nerves are the ones that I know they have all the ability to train like professionals and, and they have it all in front of them and there's, there aren't really any huge barriers and then they're still making huge mistakes or, or not doing whatever that's who i try to drag because they don't have an excuse like you should be the best you can be but people who are like you know scrapping on these contender series cards and like getting you know long shot entrances to the ufc most of them have jobs uh most of them have jobs it's it's pretty insane that they train the way they do um and i want nothing but the best for them i want them to get paid so when you're saying like oh the contender series is giving opportunities to fighters who might not normally get shots in the ufc yes but also they're getting locked into these terrible contracts and it's probably bad for them in the long run and when you do that Mm -hmm. um you also weaken the pool in other organizations because now they're not going over there and showing what level they're at and you know maybe earning their worth and then they can come to the UFC later if if the ceiling isn't as high but yes I, I think that's becoming less relevant as well because you know Bellator just did million dollar payouts for their tournament yeah. PFL's been doing million dollar payouts for three seasons now or whatever like they got the money like they can pay these people so it's happening um and stuff like the contender series contracts stuff like the ultimate fighter contracts like you can pretend to care about you know fighters on the fringe mm-hmm. who who really need to become professionals um in the sense that this is their full-time job and they don't have to you know worry but you see fighters um who are decently well established and have been in the UFC for a few years uh and have wins uh getting their $50,000 bonus and just breaking down and crying because it changed their whole life yeah. because that's they they did not have surplus like they they were going fight to fight um, like it's just, it's not right. That's not a professional sport. That's not, that's not what it is. And the UFC sets the standard. Um, so just wanted to acknowledge that I respect the hell out of almost every fighter really. Yeah. Um, and I know it's super hard and that's why I get so mad. Um, the way, the way that the sport is discussed and the way the fighters are treated. I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I think people uh, will take that the wrong way where it's like, whether it's like, yeah, that's a great example. I know we both shared the one with Julian Arosa where I'm happy for him. But at the same time, oh, yeah. it's just like you're not rooting against somebody. It's not that you know I picked against him and I heard your takes on the podcast and I don't disagree. But it's one of those things where people will look at it and go, what do you got against Arosa? You don't want to see a guy do well and overcome adversity. You're not happy for him. It's like, no, I'm happy for him, but... It don't sucks because yeah, I don't want to have brain damage because even though he did one, he still got concussed and dropped mm-hmm. and hit a, got a, took a lot of hard shots. Um, and uh, and even though it was a short camp, he actually you know one of the things he noted he's like I actually got cage time because everybody has to share that damn cage in Extreme Couture, and he was like I actually mm-hmm. got cage time to spar, so I'm like okay, there's more shots to the head there, or you know I explained with my you know 
I know you passionate about getting more sparring for this camp. Yeah, that was his, his key. I was like, what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there were like guys like uh, you know, and and again, uh, my bias. This is where my bias plays in here. Uh, I'm not hating, but definitely come off as a hater against guys like Giga Chikatsi. But I'll listen to, and I remember like listening to Shiram, who does a great job. Like he, like listening to his live commentary. I'm like, that's me. That's I was. And like so many analysts were just like, oh, and he just put the foot on the gas, and that, that's that's that. He wins. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Offense. Defense be damned. Uh, <laughs> defense be damned, by the way. That's just like an evergreen saying, uh, but especially of late at MMA. There's been so many examples yeah. of defense be damned. And I think that's where our snobbery can come in, and it's good of us to admit that, yes. But I don't, in our defense, I don't think it's a bad thing when we're talking about, again, this, the current trends uh, as far as high-level, air quotes, MMA goes. And I think people should understand that, like kind of like what you said when you're talking about lower level. When you, it's not like we're hating on this person who is thought not to be good, or this person who's thought to be good. Maybe we're trying to, you know, I believe chopping the polys is the Australian call. It, you know, bringing someone back down to earth um, a bit, which is another maybe reason why I appreciate Australians and Australian humor a bit, because <laughs> uh, there's a lot of that in there too. Um, but you know, it, it's it, it's more that, and I think that a lot of times we can. And I talked about this in my last podcast is that we can almost I don't want to say make the same mistake because uh, in our defense, there's 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 factual grounding and good to what we're mm-hmm. trying to do. But we can almost make the mistake of almost overcorrecting the steering wheel with, you know, uh, our skill snobbery or when we're trying to I'm sure with you trying to like I feel bad for guys like you and Sean Sheehan who do the best job in the space, by the way, at explaining scoring. So I want to commend you for that. I think he did some really good efforts and really great content there at the fight site. But I, I'm sure it must get crazy, right? Because you find yourself just saying damage so damn much because people just can't hear it, right? Or they can't go read it for themselves. Um, and, 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 you know, which I wanted to talk to you about as far as the judges, because I think that the judges may overcorrect it at times. And we can talk about that because you're the person to talk to about that with. But mm-hmm. yeah, uh, just back to our, our skill snobbery, our biases in that department. Um, I'm, you know, I like you will readily admit them. I don't think we've ever had a problem with that, but I do think that you're right. I think people should understand why that is, and you don't have to think like Ed, and you don't have to think like me. You you don't ever have to think like me, by the way. You probably shouldn't. That's another thing. I know I'm <laughs> pa- just because I'm passionate about something. It doesn't mean I'm I'm like you know trying to be authoritarian and tell you all what to think. Um, however, I do think it is good to keep these things that we're saying in mind, uh, especially if you find yourself complaining about why is this guy, why didn't, you know, why didn't Kyoji Horiguchi get signed by the UFC? You know, that's another one. That's another one today that was just like, what the, what, what the fuck? Um, to keep that in mind on what you're watching. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, uh, I think it's going to become more and more common that someone's going to have to, uh, really break out within the UFC to become a high paid person. I, I, I think maybe... They learned a lesson with Conor McGregor and John Jones and Ronda Rousey, but these really, really high-profile stars, the people that people can really latch onto, right. are volatile. And True. you know you can't control them, and you can't always get what you want out of them, and they're not reliable, and you're going to have to have a backup plan. And they said, let's, let's move away from that model. If we get those people, we get those people. They don't know how to build them. So they're just like, if it happens, it happens. Right, uh, right. We're going to do other stuff. So if you have like Kyoji Horiguchi, like, yeah, he could be the champion of his division. But are people going to care about him? Nope. No. So Sadly, yeah. yeah the, the, the Western audiences, <laughs> and they're not going to make the effort to bring him to Asia, even if COVID wasn't going on. They already trended away from that. Again, they trended away from the global expansion aspect of it. 
So they're not right. going to give two shits there. But the wrestling one He's is still kind of personality too. But they're like, oh, if he doesn't speak perfect English, no one's going to care. So it's like, He's, there's no yeah. gimmick. And and you know what? Fuck it. I mean, like uh, you know, uh, Bellator will you know do their damnedest. But I I, I think Risen, by the way, one of the best promotional um, as far you know, like legit when they did when his uh, when his uh, his karate teacher passed away and they did that whole oh, yeah. thing. Like that was like beautiful meld of like traditional MMA, old school MMA, like everything Melton molding is one, a very much yeah, of a, I love that. I love that. Um, but, but yeah, with the wrestlers, it's funny. It's like, is it because they don't have a, a guy like Goldie, which maybe is a, you think it would be a good thing. Like, cause if it was me, if, if Goldie was still there, I'd be like, we cannot hire people with long resumes because Goldie is going to spend the entire fight reading the fucking <laughs> resume. Like if we hire Gable Stevenson, it's going to be 10 minutes and 14 seconds of Goldie reading the resume until he gets to the fight. <laughs> Let me tell you about his career at Apple Valley High School. Like, let's start there. <laughs> well, the Apple Valley wrestler very embrace the grind, and then he'll segue off to another wrestler. Like, oh God, here we go. Here comes the Turk. Take a shot every time you hear the Turk. Um, but uh, <laughs> not to turn into shitting on Goldie, but that was like a, a, a staple, you know, um, that they would go for, and they still sign guys like Gregor uh, Gillespie. Mm-hmm. So it just it still boggles my mind. Um, on, on on that area, and and I yeah, get it. Yeah, which wrestlers they want and which ones they don't, and I don't think there's a process, and I really don't understand how they choose. Um, it's it's very strange. Uh, and, and speaking of shout out sorry, for a contender series, uh, my man Mo Miller is gonna come up uh two weeks, I think next week, two weeks or something like that. Um, yeah, he better win because uh, yes. he he's he's uh he's there, he's good, he's good to go. Shouts to Mo Miller. Um, but yeah, no, that that, that I did see that that that, that is exciting. And but you're right. I don't even know if it's so much of the striker bias before because again, like you mentioned, Patty Pimblett or um, what's his name, Mickey Gall. Like those guys are grapplers, which maybe which maybe is more of a yeah oh, defense. Be damned, right? Jesus. And mm-hmm. like you know, people are gonna say we're hating on him, and we're just like, no, I just uh, yeah. Just, oh, I am. I'm hating just, on him. <laughs> I watched a bunch of. His, I never seen him get a knockout like that. So it's just one of those you know. And then it's one of those things that you get the knockout. And everybody acts like it's God's greatest thing, and that's like a normal thing. He's You're got, like, not he's a normal got thing. Some juice. He's got some juice. He was throwing. He uh, threw a lot of. Uh, he threw a lot of hard punches in succession. I'm like, that's impressive physically for you to do that, but also, uh, the way you did it was terrible. And uh, Luigi's reaction was terrible. And the fight yes. before that from you was terrible. Yes. And you're like a bad person who says terrible things on social media. So I don't yeah. find myself rooting for you. So I won't. Yeah. I don't, that too. I don't care. Like... Um, so I'm overcorrecting. Like, I, I, I want good things so much for the people who deserve it. And I'm like, you don't really, you shouldn't really have good things coming to you if you're yep. acting like this and getting this kind of recognition and attention. And you're not there. You're not that guy. Like, how dare you? Like, but, but get your that... money. I understand. But I'm going to root against you actively. <laughs> I'm, I'm completely with that but does that speak to the problem of us trying to figure it out where it's not skill and it's not even style bias anymore it's literally it has nothing Being to do British. with skills at all it's literally <laughs> just yeah can you can you be that that personality that loud on the mic personality that they can sell or whatever mm-hmm. and even then like you said are they are they even going to fully water those plants anymore after what happened with conor mcgregor right so right. it's just it, but but maybe they want to have enough of it to at least keep the image as if there's more stars down the pipeline. You better tune in. Um, but they're not actually going to water these plants and let them grow. You know, um, they're going to take them away from the windowsill when they start getting a little too big. Put another baby plant out there. <laughs> you know, um, and I know these analogies can go on all day, but it, it it is it is strange. So 
I do want to shift, even though I, I kind of just said styles don't matter, I do want to shift the style. Um, and it is a style that seems to be getting less love, like we just said, uh, but already was prone to maybe not getting as much love because of um, the styles it can put you in. And not all these guys are like this, but just, just as we get out of here, I just want to touch on two fighters and a grappling department of a main event coming up. We'll see if it comes up. Again, this is this is why it's not really a look-ahead episode like a lot of people are doing because between COVID and right. the matchmaking that we're complaining about, there's not much to look ahead to UFC-wise, so you don't know what's going to happen. Um, but uh, I believe this next week, you've got Armin Saryukian fighting somebody. Uh, Christos Yagos, <laughs> a wrestle boxer, okay? Oh, cool. And then you've got Curtis Blades against uh, Frozenstruck, uh, I believe, uh, yeah, Shuram coined that. Uh, probably mm-hmm. someone from the fight side did. Ro- yeah, uh, mm-hmm. uh part of my part of my part of my dude there. Part of my the, the, the fantasy Jewish fight league baby. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, 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 he's obviously uh, from Suriname. Um, but um, yeah, we got Curtis Blades and Armin Saryukian. Um, not so much the matchups or any hard like picks or anything like that. Uh, they're, I'm, I'm guessing they're just big favorites in both their matchups without looking at it. I know my man mm-hmm. Hal wants to lay some serious chalk on Armin. Just because he just feels like it's a lock, um, you know. But uh, what do you think of? We'll start with Armin Sarukian. Um, what do you think of his skills and ceilings? I know it doesn't matter because he's in lightweight, so he'll and he's you know not, uh, not North American, so he'll he he will go nowhere. He will move laterally. Aside mm-hmm. from that, though, just judging by his skill, um, what do you think of him? Yeah, he's a. Uh... He's all right. <laughs> uh, basically, the way I feel about Armin Sarukian is how I feel about a lot of fighters, where uh, there are definitely areas of like their skill competencies that I'm impressed with. Like when he's in a situation wrestling, I think he looks pretty good. When he's in a situation grappling, I think he looks good on his back, on top, whatever. Um, he can put together some interesting combinations. Like he can kick dexterously on the outside. So all these things together, if you said, okay, here's this guy's ability control him you know make him win fights i would probably do a better job uh than, than he does just because his game is so unfocused um uh it's, it's a bit processless mm-hmm. he doesn't really his striking isn't really connected to the way he wants to wrestle um and he doesn't really understand directionality yet in terms of like okay i have an advantage in this position like when i have them on the cage or i am disadvantaged when i'm on the cage um his striking doesn't reflect awareness of that so there's just a lot transitionally i think he needs to work on he he's hit some stuff um i put together a little clip before he like had some nice transitions like off his rear hand to singles against like davi mm-hmm. hamosh things like that but those are like those are moves so there are moves there are setups there are tricks um but and then there's process it's like here's where i want to be in the cage i'm going to use my striking to put myself there or I'm going to use a go-to shot to put myself there. And it just doesn't seem like he's someone who's prioritizing his game as a grappler, as someone who's going to win by getting on top of people um, primarily. So I think uh, Yagos might draw a, um annoyingly competitive fight out of him for people that bet on him and like mm-hmm. that. Uh, I think it might be too close for comfort. Um, I don't see Yagos as somebody who's like, has great ideas about what he does, but I mean, he can go. He can go with him on the feet. He can go with him uh, when they wrestle yeah. as well. And I think uh, <clears throat> Syracuse might just be one of those guys that's going to give, if you're skilled, if you're tough, he's going to give you a good fight. But it's kind of up in the air how much of the fight he's going to win or you know, what positions they're going to end up because he just doesn't really have a, a control of the action. So there's a lot of fighters like that. 
Um, he's probably one of the more skilled ones that, that is that way. Um, but yeah, just it really inhibits the ceiling, in my opinion. And his striking just isn't really that threatening overall. Uh, um, I don't really like the way he throws his hands. Um, it seems uh, not not uncomfortable. Just uh, I can't. I don't really believe he wants to hit people that much. Uh, just connect, like, it's, like, it's like connecting pieces for his kicks. Yeah. 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 Kick. yeah. Uh, but then his kicks don't always connect to his wrestling. So it's like, what are we even doing on the feet at that point? Right. Um, so if you watched his fight with like Islam Makhachev, what was what, what was impressive was like he got off his back well. Um, he scrambled well with, with Islam, but um, he was reacting. He was reacting. Yeah, I was going to say he's really, really reactive and his athleticism mm-hmm. bails him out. I'm not ready to write him off though because there's clearly skill that got me excited for him. Like I picked Islam, but I told people that were wondering why isn't Islam yeah. getting moved to a minus 500. I'm like, um, it's because this guy has actually got some skill, and I, you know, I was proud that he made a good account for himself for in a loss because that was my biggest talking point that week when everybody was saying, oh, uh, it, you know, lay your house on Islam," and I'm like, okay, definitely not a, a, a terrible fighter to do that. Um, mm-hmm. I'm picking him to win for sure, but I will say, you know, th- this guy does have some skill. But I do wonder if he's just at that age, and because he's so skillful, if he's just being overly inundated, and he's still trying to figure out who he is. I wonder if maybe, and not that Fiziev did this, but if he will attempt to do, maybe if it's what Fiziev's trying to attempt to do, I don't know, but maybe switching over and going to a North American camp, um, yeah. or a more established camp in that sense. Um, I, maybe then, I don't know. Uh, obviously, Tiger Muay Thai does some great things, so it's not like he's in a bad camp or anything, by the way. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, we'll see about that. Um, Curtis Blades, what are your thoughts on Curtis Blades? I don't know if I've heard you talk about Curtis Blades much. He's got Rosenstruck ahead of him. Um, mm-hmm. It's a it's a pretty obvious dynamic uh, that fight. No need to break really break that down. It's Derek yeah. Lewis again. But uh, as far as Blades Blades' ceiling, like he 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 shows that he can wrestle for five rounds, although it's very labored if he can't put the guy away. It's you know there'll yeah. be some sketchy moments in there. Um, I like the stuff that he does with his rides, although sometimes I still feel like his, his, his aggression, I don't know if it's more focused than his aggression sometimes, maybe can uh, allow people uh, allow people to, to, to work their way up a, a little more than they should sometimes. Um, and striking, it's like, if I recall, he was doing some good things and looking improved on the feet uh, against Lewis, which I know... It's not saying a lot, but he was, for mm-hmm. what he was doing, I think it was better than he's done before, if memory serves. But then, yeah. of course, he runs into, even with that, as a guy with a big head, not hating Curtis, even with that big head of his, you know, he, he could still be knocked out at heavyweight. For sure. He's getting hit by the biggest hitters in the sport, no big deal. Uh, but, right. yeah, no, I, I really like Curtis. Um, I've been in been in interviews with him. Like, he, he was on my panel about, like, racism. That's right. That was a great, uh, that was a great panel. And, uh, yeah, people have... Uh, for the fight really like side, he's been interviewed yeah. a couple times actually. So, right. and we have a relationship with uh, Sean nice. Madden, who was one of the striking coaches yeah, at Elevation that worked with him a lot. So, I definitely uh, have bias in terms of being favorable uh, to Curtis Blades, and I did write an article about him. Uh, so, like, in comparison to all the stuff I just said about Sarukian, um, he's a fighter that does have a process. Like, he's a fighter yes. that does have a very clear idea of here's how I want to get where I want to get. Um, in in but in a similar way of them kind of being opposites, uh, it doesn't run as deep. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. a pretty simple game. Um, on the feet, he's pretty much just one twos. And uh, what he learned to become more effective with that was basically fainting, you know, stutter stepping, level changing, and to all the different ways you can manipulate a one two entry 
uh, he, he learned and he's able to, to use them pretty well. And, you know, he, he really, uh, he flusters a lot of these heavyweights on the feet, uh, just because he can control entries really well. Cause he's faster and he mm-hmm. can cover distance better and he's big and he's got long arms and he's got, he's, he throws hard. Um, like junior dos Santos, like he, he had him whiffing on counters and he knocked him out. Um, plus, you know, with, with the level changing of his combinations, he could be throwing body. He doesn't really do it, but he does. Is this the double threat of is this the double? Is this the body punch? Is this an overhand? What is this? Is this his right hand coming in from a duck position? So it's really, really simple stuff, but it's like essential if you want to be a wrestler in MMA and you want to throw your rear hand. Um, this is how you have to do it. Um, so I, I always admired how, how he did that, all the different ways that yeah. he uh, played with people's reactions uh, with his entries and used that to set up that he's got a good outside shot. You know what I mean? He's got this good double he can hit from yeah. space. Uh, run people through and either put them on the cage and now we're wrestling on the cage or he can finish it outright um, or he can come to an upper body position on the cage and finish there like uh, he's got that big like high high on the chest uh, back arch that he hits that matters yeah. um, that yeah. he likes um, so yeah he's he's got a pretty simple game and like you said he can ride he can he can put damage on people on top so it all works together uh, problem is uh, he's, he's really he's he's committed to his process and he's like okay I need to strike for a certain amount of time but eventually I gotta shoot right um, he's just not that comfortable yet. So I think that's what you saw in the Derek Lewis fight was that everything he was doing was working. <laughs> everything was working. Nothing was going wrong. Derek Lewis wasn't getting anything done. Um, he's like, eventually I have to shoot. Um, he's going to counter me, right? Like, I, I, I can't just keep doing this. Like, he didn't believe. He didn't believe that it was going to keep working, I don't think. I think he got anxious. I think he got nervous about it um, and, and switched things up. And, you know, I, I feel like nine out of ten times, you you can get away with just one right. naked yeah. level change because you've yeah. hit so many level changes already. It's like how does he know which ones to take down? Um, but he did. He did know. Oh, <laughs> Derek Lewis has some pretty good eyes. I, I would say uh, just to see that uh, he's got to be fearless and not care about anything else that was going on and just look at that and see that. But yeah, people people saw that and they're like, oh, he didn't set up a shot. Like it's just funny that you all notice that now. You don't notice that he set right. up every other shot he's ever taken in his entire life, um, except irony. for this one. It's the like irony, really uh, yeah, like, those, those yeah. The analyst ironies that we've been—they've been popping <laughs> up. They, they pop up and they get us, you know. And, and people, I don't think they get that. They're like, "Oh, what is this guy?" Is and I actually picked Derek Lewis not so much to do that. I think he was going to just capitalize on Blades tired because mm-hmm. Lewis hard to finish um you know or at least on the ground uh, surprisingly you know most people have more success standing with him but blades is a guy i rarely pick against i, I like him i picked him over in nganu both times um <laughs> to beat him you know um Sorry. I, I, yeah i know I'm a, I'm a big fan I'm a, I'm a big fan of blades but i do wonder you know like it's just like you know i can't help but place him against guys because you know heavyweight that barely has any wrestlers so it's like you can't help right. but immediately picture how he do against gone or with the UFC and how they are again, it's not a, it's no country for old wrestlers, um, you know. Um, it's like, and I know he's been outspoken about pay before, and oh, yeah. you know, Curtis is a pretty honest dude, which is why I, I like him a lot. Um, but um, you know, uh, does he go the way of Bellator, and then immediately I just, I'm picturing Chet Congo with a shit eating grin because you know, you know what would happen in that fight, Ed, right? If if Chet Congo fought uh, Curtis Blades. Maybe on the cage the whole time, and uh, Curtis uh, would have some sore balls in the morning. 
<laughs> yep, yeah, yep. <laughs> That's if, and then he, he has to watch out for the opportunistic uh, the, knockout of Congo randomly. The ugliest, because... dirtiest fight of all time. Yes. And if you mess up, he's gonna knock you out. <laughs> yep, yeah. And either way, it's ball shots. Win or lose, your balls are taking a beating. Mm-hmm. Um, which is another you reason. You can't win. You can't yeah. win against Czech Congo. <laughs> which is another reason I get way more upset at like uh, uh, fouls, like eye pokes and low blows, than any of the other, you know, the, the low leg kick stuff because it's just like. <laughs> You should be cheating in every contest. Whenever you get tired, you should just foul. Because mm-hmm. you're not going to get points taken away. You're going to probably get two times without points taken away. Even if you do get points, at least you're not getting finished. You can catch a breath, you can catch a breath, maybe go finish finish them. Or save yourself and, you know, go out on composure. Just Derek foul. Lewis admit that he does that. Like yeah. he is on some podcast yeah. and he's like, Yeah, John like, Jones. I, I wanted I wanted a breather. <laughs> yeah. John Jones, the same the same thing. Oh yeah, totally. Totally. Um all right, I don't want to keep you any longer. By the way, real quick, uh, speaking of Rosenstruck in the Fantasy Jewish Fight League, uh, happy belated Jewish New Year. I don't know if, if how well, long you. you guys celebrate. Um, it's just uh, sundown to sundown. It was all right. uh, Monday to Tuesday. All right, my God. I don't even think I wish my audience happy Chinese New Year, like in February, by the way, but it's okay. That's probably, it shows why that um, why uh, why the Chinese and the, and, and the, Jew, the Jews get along so well. Uh, a lot of my, a lot of my, a lot of my, a lot of my, uh, Best friends and stuff growing up, uh, family friends uh, are, are Jewish people. So it's just, it's funny, man. It's just, there's a lot of, uh, I don't know, I don't know. At least I, I see a lot of, a lot of, there, there's a lot of similarities. And I'm bad with the New Year's though. Like I didn't even remember <laughs> my own Chinese New Year, and I remember that it was the Jewish New Year. That's that's just how I'm wired. Go figure. All right. Well, um, Volkanovski and Ortega, because this is a fun. This is actually like an actually good fight. That's yeah. You know, that's going to be happening when uh, hopefully we'll see. Uh, as you as you as you as you take a breather from the space, that one's got to get you excited, huh? Do you have any thoughts you want to share before we get out of here on that one? I'm pretty nervous about it actually. Um, okay. Ortega is not somebody I see winning a single round uh, against Volkanovski. He's just he's really not that kind yes. of fighter. Sure. Um, his fight against the Korean Zombie actually was one of the first fights where he really looked like he was interested in winning rounds and trying to win the majority of exchanges and not like push anything and just try to be better, um, which annoyed me. Because that's not how he's won fights in the past. I and mean, you should be focusing on the way that you are um, and not completely changing everything because it's very rare that that works out. It's um, like Pedro Munoz point fighting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think he, he got he got scared off of his, uh, his approach there. I think that was probably an in-fight thing that happened. Um, but with Ortega, this is pretty clearly like a, a reprogramming. Uh, you know, trying to change his style because he did take a career's worth of damage against right. Max Holloway. Sure, but it he, that didn't happen because he's a pressure fighter. It happened because his defense wasn't good. Like you can have good defense and be a pressure fighter, but he said, "Nope, I'm an out fighter now. Um, this is the safe way to fight." I'm like, maybe, uh, <laughs> but you know, Korean Zombie isn't the best guy to to fully test that against. Uh, you know, the Korean Zombie did a much better job. As the counterfighter against like Danny Gay, for example, so yeah. I think people uh, may, might misunderstand what that matchup was and why it was so flattering to Ortega for him to fight that way. Um, but I digress. Uh, so with him being more counter focused now and being more back foot focused, uh, I think that really puts pressure on Volkanovski to to be the one putting up volume and scoring. And I think there's also he's Volkanovski is so strong mentally that. I don't see him becoming anxious about like having to widen the gap and make his lead bigger, because um, that's that definitely happens to fighters. Like uh, someone who recently did not fall into this trap was Leon Edwards, and it drove me up a freaking wall. 
uh, against Nate Diaz that yeah. he did not push his advantage because it was just so obvious. Like, it was like, you could do a lot in a lot of these situations and there's clearly no repercussions. Like, you could have... When he leans over, he bends over and he sideways, kick him. Let's throw a kick. You're good at it. It's just like, that drives me crazy. But Leon did, did not care and it almost didn't work out for him. Um, but, you know, that's a that's a personality trait of his as a fighter. It's like, you cannot annoy him into trying harder he'll try exactly as hard as he needs to um volkanovsky is the same way where he can he can adjust his uh his intensity for what the fight demands um he'll kind of meet you where you're at and just make sure he can maintain his lead and if he has an obvious advantage like his early career as a grappler you know in yeah. mma like he was running through people but yeah. as he's encountered more difficult matchups he's been a lot more careful and he's he's very comfortable with maintaining a small lead so that makes me feel a little less nervous but i just the idea of ortega kind of waiting on him and uh volkanovsky being a little older um someone that does get hurt in fights um that scares me just because ortega is very dangerous uh deceptively heavy-handed uh you know he's he's he knows how to hurt people and he's really good at capitalizing when when things are starting to go his way i mean that's how he won pretty much every fight uh is that he he created opportunities by by being patient and uh yeah, you know, pressuring and, and leaning on his attributes a little bit, um, just to let let them kind of tire themselves out on him and get nervous uh, that he's still coming after them or still there or still dangerous and they make mistakes. But in terms of like Ortega, like taking Volk down and submitting him or anything like that, that's not even in my mind. Like I, I don't I don't think that's gonna be be what happens. But um, I don't know. I just uh, it, it really it, it's gonna come down to moments for Ortega and those are hard to predict it's hard to say like is there going to be a moment that matters enough that that he could win with it you know my thing is hard is I think a lot of us have been wondering if we're going to get from analyst to casual takes is do we see the sellout on offensive grappling that we saw from early Volkanovski come back in any of these styles mm-hmm. of matchups it was it's, it's at the very least it's been a question posed through the last fights do we see it here you know maybe we see more tactical clinch stuff like he did against with Aldo to cert, you know, as far as sure. controlling that fight, um, and so we, like you said, we've been, been more conservative with it. But obviously, you shoot guillotine or take a good guillotine uh, pressure. Maybe he shoots to alleviate pressure. These are like basic scenarios you can kind of whip up in your head as far as because right. you're right. I don't see Ortega taking him down, right? So you you think of the uh, the inverse scenarios. But for me, I do wonder that even if he doesn't shoot, is it just too dangerous to even push Ortega up to the clinch with the height difference? And what mm-hmm. we've seen Ortega being able to do to just to just uh, to just grab onto things, you yeah. know, uh, what we saw like Derek Minner versus uh, what was a TJ Laramie is a very similar, not not level or style, but you got you know guy really good at guillotines getting pushed up against the fence against short stocky guy who is used to, used to controlling guys grappling wise, um, and there's a little bit too much comfort there, right? And you could you could see even though Volkanovski's smart. He also has that rugby, you know, that Australian edge, like, oh, I'm gonna, show, I'm gonna show you who's who, you know, and maybe you settle <laughs> down, you know, maybe there, there, there's a big flurry. All right, settle down now, and he tries to, you know, push him against. The, I don't know why, like, Volkanovski talks like that while he fights, apparently, <laughs> but uh, you know, maybe he pushes him against the fence, and then he, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a latch on, and then maybe he doesn't get it, but Volkanovski has to go to his side, and then he uses the guillotine to sweep, and then maybe he doesn't get the guillotine, but now he's on top punching, and then he turns, gives his back, and it's a rear naked. I mean, yeah. You know, and that's how that's how Ortega wins. Granted, like you said, those moments are harder to predict. 
But I guess that's what I see as far as the scenarios. Otherwise, you run the gamut of a really close fight. I don't think uh, Ortega's newfound love for feints from the southpaw stance. Um, I don't know if he'll have as much play with those as uh, as Volkanovski has had with his, um, you know, the, with the opponents and the minutes that he's had to put in with his uh, newer style and his understanding of feints and how he integrates it into his game. So mm-hmm. the stand-up worries me less, except for the fact that, like, you're right, it could be close. Um, I just can't help but think of these grappling scenarios. Yeah. In big cage or not, I just feel like any kind of, you're in the clinch even. you just It's dangerous. Well, last time we saw Volk uh, hitting offensive takedowns was in in that last fight against Max Holloway, the rematch. Um, he started going to the inside trip later in the fight, and he, mm-hmm. he hit, hit it every time, uh, <laughs> every time he went to it, because he, uh, in the first fight, he was trying to hit that uh, like outside step, uh, double leg that like TJ Dillashaw popularized. Yeah, he was trying yeah, to yeah. You know, hit, hit that drop step, and um, when you shoot on Max from space, he's really good at just pulling you up into into an upper body position. So uh, his adjustment from the first fight to the second fight as a wrestler was okay. I can shoot from the outside whenever, and I'm gonna get a, I'm gonna get an upper body position, and I can just train to hit something as soon as I get there. So. He's like, I know how to get into the clinch with Max, and here's my clinch takedown inside trip from over unders. Um, he had he had nice mechanics on it. He's good at it, and inside tripping tall people is fun um, because they often stand more upright because they like to be taller than you in the clinch. So um, MMA clinching is so interesting to me with the incorporation of wrestling, just because the foot positioning uh, can can be so different. Like the posture and the foot positioning. Like if yeah. you don't want to get hit with strikes versus you want to be in a solid base position as a grappler. Um, totally different, like um, where your hips are even. So if like you, you, if you're in the clinch with somebody, and you want to like be in a wrestling stance, you're gonna get your hips back, right? There's gonna be a lot of space between your hips and their hips. Your chests are are down, and your stomachs have all that that big window. You get get need, right? <laughs> People start kneeing yeah, where they come yeah. over the top of the elbows, and it's a really bad place to not get hit from. And you pull your hips in, and all of a sudden you're in the worst position you could possibly be. Uh, for takedowns, so it's just like the the blend between the two is uh, is always very interesting, and I, I love seeing fighters uh, exploit that. Yeah, um, yep. I've done a couple of videos on that where you know shooting a knee up the middle and immediately hitting your, your clinch based takedown after that because you know their stance is going to change, um, stuff like that. But you know, Alexander Volkanovsky is the kind of guy that understands transitions. Um, he thinks a couple steps ahead when he, when he does something, and uh, it's just a uh, it's nice. It's nice to watch that. Whereas Ortega is somebody who is planning ahead in terms of I'm going to get you eventually, um, but he's always looking for like what can I exploit here and like doesn't have as many consistent tools. Whereas Volkanovski is the one setting his own traps, you know, putting putting the data out there, you know, creating the opportunities, mm-hmm. um, you know, being the guy that that leads and being the guy that that can control. And uh, I always respect that more. I would say because it's a uh, it's no nonsense. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. uh, it's like, I'm going to make this happen. Uh, I'm not going to rely on chance or anything. Like, I'm just going to be good. I'm going to put it out there and I'm going to think about what I'm doing. And if you don't stop me, uh, it's going to work. Like, and uh, he's also someone that can respond to you so well. Like, uh, Max Holloway made such good adjustments um, between mm-hmm. their first two fights. And he got really creative with his entries. And he, he got a good read on uh, the way Volk likes to come in. He got a good read on his counters. And it definitely troubled Volk at first. And then once he had seen everything, he said, okay, 
Yep. I, I like you're not gonna you're not gonna get away with any of that uh, anymore. And he's just a he's a very smart fighter. So yeah, my my main concern is honestly his durability at this point. Like he did get rocked by Max a couple times, um, and like I said, Ortega does hit pretty hard. And I just I cannot unsee him and maybe having some shaky moments. But mm. uh, it's hard it's hard to know it's hard to know yeah. things about chins. And I never make predictions based on trying yeah, to predict too. what someone's chin's gonna be like. <laughs> Those are always my worst predictions, too, to be honest. So, yeah, it's not a bad thing to steer clear from. I love that note mm-hmm. you said on the knee to the clinch position. I was just thinking um, my guy Sakurai yeah, actually does that. Jens Paul mm-hmm. in the, the video I just clipped, he actually does that thing. Exact thing. He uses the tie clinch briefly, or he enters off a, a, a clinch knee and then goes right to body lock. Um, nice. And then I, I cut where it led to from there because, you know, you only got a little bit for the Twitter vids. Uh, shouts to Sakurai, by the way. He's doing, like, across yeah. the leg. He's doing calf kicks. He, like, bruised up Jen's calf back in the day. Uh, he was doing off the counter, coming forward, kicking off the counter, lead, inside, outside. I'm like, dude, good dude's doing a fucking leg kick. Uh, you know, the kids don't know about Sakurai, uh, yeah, Ed. The I kids commentated don't know. Uh, his fight against Anderson Silva from Anderson Silva. first loss. Review. Yeah. 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 And I was like, oh, and like, there's definitely issues here, but uh, for, for the time. I'm for like, a 5'8 guy, for, for, a, for yeah. a generously listed 5'8 dude. Um, like, yeah, a tall, actual guy could strike and counter was going to be the, uh, because mm. defense obviously wasn't Sakurai's strong point, moving the head. He could do a lot of feints, yeah. and he actually did feint playing and stuff, which was pretty cool. Like, he yeah, one of the old school early guys. Um, mm-hmm. So that's another reason why we get annoyed, because it's not like it's unrealistic, because Jose Aldo do it, everybody should do it. Like, no, it's, like, a lot of these things have been done before Jose Aldo, or before, yeah. like, they yeah. can be done. You know, you can check and defend, you can faint and fake things out like there is a a reason these things are said by a lot of analysts at nauseum almost you know so now that was a great take on the volk or- ortega um and yeah i'd be curious i'd be curious if he does go for that because i think that you know um he could survive down there because a lot of ortega not only is the guard jiu-jitsu stuff not high percentage this day and age especially in the male divisions but um even ortega's like triangles and stuff if you look they came off of like back scrambles and they're not exactly mm-hmm. he's not doing straight guard play and i know volk gets lumped in with city kickboxing but his main gym before during and since is with george lopez in australia and i believe that guy that's a jiu-jitsu gym with his head coach is actually like a brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt i believe so i imagine he's he's working the keeping the hands on the biceps while he's in that guard you know um, I would count on Volk to be a good positional player in that sense, you know. Uh, I know he did a lot of meta smashing uh, when he was doing that in the UFC more earlier on, but yeah, I'm excited for that fight. So thank you for giving your thoughts on that, Ed. Um, man, I already took way more time. I want to let you out of here because it's already late, and then I, I appreciate the fuck out of you, especially if you're trying to get out of MMA, and I'm, I'm not letting you here. <laughs> but uh, this was a good conversation, man. Um, before I, I give the floor to you, I just last kind of a big thing to throw at you for our last question but with the scoring and the wrestling and you know not to not to pigeonhole you for your specialties because you're good at many things ed but my complaint is is that you know again we talked about the matchmaking how ufc is always kind of favored the strikers the highlight the the add uh, of our attention spans of the, the, the the you know the casual fans I feel like there's you know it, it's no country for uh, for old wrestlers or grapplers and especially now that you have the scoring, which, again, I don't disagree with. I'm glad that there's a movement to follow the criteria. I just feel like between fans and judges that there are still plenty of rounds and plenty of scenarios where there isn't meaningful damage in the striking, whether it's on the floor or on the feet. 
And I still feel like whether or not we're picking the right round winner, that the explanations um, or the talking points on commentary, uh, the scores and everything in between, they're not reflecting people that are getting fights to the ground, keeping fights to the ground where they're not getting back up. But that's not that alone doesn't win you around. That doesn't score a lot, granted. But there is a difference there. But not just keeping it on the ground. Maybe they're not doing ridiculous amount of striking damage, but they're doing enough to open up passes uh, and open up advancements for passes and or eventually uh, what you should be should be working toward a finish, uh, a submission. And maybe they get that and they get the head and arm and, the, and then the person you know uh, doesn't get it or they give the back, they, they advance the mount, they go for the rear naked. They eventually fall over, they parlay into an arm bar that's not close, but they don't take a lot to get back up to the feet. I don't know. I'm not of the school. Obviously, there's so many scenarios, it's unfair to weigh in off just that. But when, again, there's not meaningful damage done, not, not even by the other party, really by either, like, or maybe there is, but it's not a huge amount and it's kind of a wash. The main criteria of damage, the striking uh, that causes the damage, the visual damage, uh, c- concussionary damage, dropping, etc. Whatever happened or didn't happen is about an even, but one fighter is, it did a lot of a grappling work. They didn't get the finish. But I'm of the school, it's like, I've heard people say that Effective grappling is getting a submission win. I'm like, I don't know. I would argue that's getting a submission win. Effective grappling, A, like many things in the criteria, which is problematic, it's up to our own interpretation, which is a huge problem. Um, so I, I kind of fall more along the lines of, I'm not sure if it was Luke Thomas. I'm not sure the math he did, but I, I fall along the lines of, I'm not going to stop caring so much because it's so open to fucking interpretation that you could just have professionals fuck it up, which is what we see on a week in and week out basis. Mm-hmm. But I, I still feel like that the meaningful grappling part is the, still the biggest misinterpreted. Now I appreciate that we're correcting away from the days of late takedown got around, which still permeates right. with commentators like DC and DC called himself out on it. Credit to him, but, but still, it's still a problem, right? So what do you make of that? I know I just, I threw a lot at you. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. It's, it's funny. Like, we're, we're correcting right so like i'm always railing against like oh this this control didn't didn't score this takedown sure. didn't score this stuff didn't score you have to understand that because most people still think that things that don't score do um just like having a position or right. did you get the takedown like if a takedown is damaging then yeah it should count for a lot if you are passing and landing and threatening submissions even if they're not super close I think that should be weighed in a similar fashion to uh, not super meaningful striking exchange um, that, right. that you win. You know what I mean? It should be adding towards your you winning the round or you, you coming close to winning the round. You know what I mean? As long as you're doing stuff. Um, but yeah, it's like if you if we were on the feet for a minute and you, you beat me up decent, um, you, you hit me hard a few times. It was re- relatively competitive, but you clearly got the better than me and you landed significant shots. Then I hit a super duck and I take your back, um, and I just hold seatbelt right. for four minutes, and that's what happens. The person that did damage should win the round because right. I I didn't attempt a submission, I didn't do anything. You know what I mean? It's like even if I like kind of try to fish for rear naked chokes the whole time, if they weren't close, like it's not the same. Um, so I, I, that's hard for people to deal with just because it's like the time. It's like oh my god, like it, so much more time happened in this position. Yeah, yeah. But like you have to weigh what actually matters in a fight what's contributing towards a finish hitting somebody in the face or like not really coming close to a choke you know <laughs> see and, and that's where it gets kind of sketchy because i know i've been guilty of that before too 
But I, I will say, I feel like if the back control, if the person wins a striking within the first minute, if they win mm-hmm. it big, uh, obviously, then definitely shouldn't be a question. They should win the round regardless of the four minutes back control. Totally agree. Mm-hmm. But I do feel like it's it's harder for people to understand that point you made, Ed, if it happens in that order. Whereas, where I know I've been on the right side of this, where um, I think it was Man- Miranda Maverick versus Jillian Robertson round two, where the four minutes of back control happened up front of the round, right? But uh-huh. they, they're not able to get off damage. They didn't really get close to a choke. And then um, Miranda Maverick shakes off Gillian Robertson in like the last minute and just starts unloading on strikes. Now, I was against it giving Yana Kunitskaya the round over Ketlin Vieira, even though she produced um, blood, because it was literally two grazing one, shots one at the shot, last second. Yeah, it did it. And it was mm-hmm. just, you just, just, you got lucky. Like, some people just, just bruise up and mark up no matter what. Like, Chandler's got to really, you look at him, or Darren Elkins, they're just going to start bleeding. So, yeah. uh, you know, that's another thing where damage is tricky, too. But neither here nor there. The point is, I feel like if the back control happens up front and the person fights out of it, and it shouldn't, this shouldn't matter, but I think subconsciously part of us, the reason why, for example, I, I, I scored it for the person, uh, Miranda Maverick, doing because it was... Um, she showed that not only the person didn't do damage or with the submission or get the submission off, but this person showed the ability to fight out of a bad spot and end the round. And I know we're not scoring things Japanese style, but there are reasons why you can steal the round toward the end of a round because it's human. There's a subconscious human uh, factor to that. And consciously, I think we do weigh who got the last word, right, in an argument. Mm-hmm. It's who got the last word, right? Uh, so who got the I last think word in the round? There is language in the scoring criteria that kind of reinforces that, um, sure. like uh, when the in terms of the impact criteria, like impactful striking and impactful grappling. Right. Um, impact is supposed to be you know about contributing to the finish of the fight, and one of the things they say to look for for impact is how much something affected the other fighter. So if you're like visibly dejected, like if the momentum is yes. very clearly yes. visibly shifting, yes. that actually counts. Yes. So you can you could put a lot of stock into that the way it's phrased, um, which so, is slippery, but no. But I'm, I'm I'm so glad you put that because I feel like it's an unspoken thing. But I feel like people who have fought or really understand fighting can can see that uh, second narrative. Yeah. There's the visual narrative of what we're seeing, but there's that unspoken one. And exactly because in the two fights I cite, the Kunitskaya Vieira, you've got blood and visual aesthetic damage. But in the flurry that Miranda Maverick and why she won the round, in my opinion, despite getting controlled for most of it, was because not only did she finish strong and she lands flurry against the cage, but Robertson, she almost looked kind of, she didn't like shake step or drop. Um, that mm-hmm. would be more obvious to a judge or a casual fan. But it was like, she almost looked like she wanted to drop. She looked like she didn't she want was, to be there. She looked she physically dejected. Mode. She yeah. was hurt. And I was like, that is the close. And, and, and like, that's the closest up till that point. And what would ha- eventually be through the whole fight, that was the closest the fight got to being ended on either side. Right. So that should wait. Should count for a lot. Yeah. Should count for a lot. Exactly. So, so, for, so it's not that I'm against stealing a round or against giving a round over massive control time. Obviously, damage is the priority. I just feel like it's easier to understand certain times on, on certain scenarios, but then maybe not because even though Miranda Maverick fights herself out of the bad position, she didn't create blood or get a knockdown. And some people would be like, right. well, not enough damage. I'm going to give it to the back control person. It's it <laughs> slippery there. It's like, I don't know about that, but I just, uh, we agree. So there's no disagreement there. I guess I, my worry is that, you know, you, you fight to the, to, to, to the fighting surface. Right. And, I was listening to Safe Sayu talk about how he corners fighters differently for contender series. He goes, even if we're up two rounds, 
I'm telling my guys to go for the finish, and I'm having them do reckless stuff that might be looked at as irresponsible cornering. Because he yeah. was basing it off, because he's taking contender series at their word and how they started doing things, which to his credit, he was obviously had a lot of fighters in that start. But mm-hmm. it makes me worry, though. I'm like, I hope Coach Safe is adjusted because he just did this interview and just said that. But what we just talked about, how they're matchmaking, it's like, I hope these coaches are adjusting their processes because now you're really going to be getting your fighter into some shit if you're telling him to go for finishes when he could be getting fucking signed anyways with a boring decision yeah. or a loss yeah. with, with how, you know, uh, Warm Bodies U, shout out to Wes Colvin, uh, as he calls the uh, Contender Series Warm Bodies University. Um, but you know, it makes me, so, so it's not us being sensitive. These things, rules, fighting surfaces, criterias affect the sport. So I guess that is just my one caution in this movement is I do worry that, you know, from more metrics, from, from selling points, marketing highlights, ESPN, you know, they're not doing a submission for the top 10. There's, there's a lot of biases against grappling already. I I wonder if, if we're just really, just really you know, uh, it, you know, is it mixed martial arts or I mean, it, it is it is ultimate fighting championships. I guess UFC's got it right then, maybe you know <laughs> over you know than MMA because everything is we're it's it's a fight it's a fight you know so I don't know that's just my thought. I hear you. It's All tough right. to balance everything. <laughs> <laughs> I figured the wrestling guy would stand harder for wrestling here now. It, no, it, no, I think uh, I think wrestling is its own reward. Yes, um, yeah. You take somebody down, you're in a position to score, um, and it's harder for them to score on you. So use that, and uh, it doesn't matter Do if, you, if you getting the fight to where you should have it is is scored, because that's not the point. The point True. of taking someone down isn't to score from taking them down. The point is to be able to do do things that you want to do because you're a grappler True. allegedly. Um, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but wrestlers, uh, you know, coming from their sports, sometimes see it differently. Like. And folk style, like, you don't have to score on top. A lot of people do, but you don't have to. If you hold them down, you win. Um, so I, I can definitely see a lot of American wrestlers feeling that way. Freestyle, you don't really need to score on top either. You could end the match really quickly if you score on top, but you also can just do nothing and be back on your feet pretty soon, and then you score by taking them down again. Yeah, um, yeah. Also, or kill, kill time, or kill time in the round, and wait till it ends, and then, yeah, then stamp it, yeah. which which happens a lot so, too. I understand, like mentally, where there might yeah. be a disconnect, especially sure. if you had an entire lifetime catering to one rule set. But sure. yeah, in terms of the scoring, I don't think they need to do anything to make it better for wrestlers again because it's it's its own reward, um, and they should just uh, be prioritizing doing things that score once they take people down. Or it's kind of asking a lot. But prioritize takedowns that are damaging. Um, that's it's not impossible. You know what I mean. True. Um, but it's probably easier just to get them down and then do the damage after. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if anything, hopefully it'll make the silver lining is maybe it'll make people fight more efficiently, right? On yeah, what techniques they use for. when they sell out for it, and making it count because it's not so much wrestlers here. It's more just grapplers. If your way is to win by submission, well, you're gonna have to be smart to go about it because you're either gonna win by submission or. You have to understand that your style may not be great, uh, be, be uh, loved by the judges uh, and whatnot. So it's just going to hopefully make people fight more efficiently. And yeah, the age of grapplers who like don't have good ground and pound games, I hope that goes away because it's, yes. it doesn't really have a place in the modern game anymore. We um, are seeing more leg lose, drag ground and pound. Fights. Yeah. <laughs> Chidi Ninja Kawani showed some, showed some off, which is great. KC controls, the you wrestlers kind of uh, call it there, the, the, the KC control variations. But... um. 
but man, this was this was awesome, man. I feel bad I've kept you so late. So I, okay. I want we got to everything I wanted to get to. This was a fun conversation. Hopefully, people enjoy this for some weekend listening or for a week off. And dude, I'm gonna be bummed to not be hearing you as much, Ed. But I completely understand, and I completely sign off in sentiment that you've got a strong stable of talent over there at the fight site. Um, I will continue to support. I stress to my listeners to continue to support good work uh, anywhere, and you can find good work at the fight site. There's plenty of people that uh, are talented, um, more talented than me, folks. Uh, please go check it out, thefight-site.com. Ed, uh, I know I just kind of stole the plug, but please, the floor is yours, man. <laughs> no, that's it, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, you'll hear a little bit from me. I'll do the MMA podcast when I can. Um, I have content planned, so like, you never like we were talking about it before we started just like when you're really busy um you don't really know when you're gonna have the time but when you do have the time you're like i'm gonna use this to record something right now and and stuff happens so i'm not saying i'm never gonna do anything you know within the next year but um it'll be a surprise (laughs) when it it does happen um so just follow me on twitter at edward gallo mma that's where i put everything um and uh yeah follow the fight site just fightsite.com on twitter that's where everything will be as well and then we'll link to like our patreon and where our podcasts are and our youtube channel and you'll find it all through twitter so if you're not on twitter you're probably less aware of me and you're less aware of the fight site and i understand not wanting to be on twitter yes not liking it I understand that but too. it's the most effective medium for what we do and uh i think it's worth it that was a hard part about you me. you dm me <laughs> he, he will I think that was the hardest part about me trying to take a break from social media is because like I still have to be on the most toxic and inundating one um, of all yeah. pretty much you know so that's tough but yes that's that is where you find Ed again if you're watching visually you can also see it below I put uh, his name tag is at Edward Gallo MMA you can find me at Dan Tom MMA and even though again it's not a, a fight site funeral if you will but for any kind of fight site style send off and this isn't I don't know who coined this but uh, I'm going to shout uh, again uh, other analysts who you should listen before you listen to me, Phil McKenzie, amazing, Connor Rebush, amazing on heavy hands. Uh, but they refer to you guys as the vaping scooter gang. So no trumpet off, but I will I will vape you guys off. <laughs> wow, phrasing. That sounded really bad. I'm, I'm, I'm hitting the vape right now. That's what I'm putting in my mouth after that inappropriate phrasing for you audio listeners. But uh, Ed, it. this one's for you, buddy. Do you say Here. cheers? I don't even know. Cheers, cheers, cheers. There we go. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, hopefully you guys enjoyed the show. Uh, Go support uh, Ed and his comrades. And, uh, yeah, you know where to find my ass. I'll be around. I'll be around next week for a breakdown. Who knows? Uh, Talking too damn much as usual. So enjoy your guys' weekend. And always protect your neck. Protect your neck.